Thanks, you guys. So uh, I want to introduce someone to you, and uh, it's a guy named Ray Tate. He's uh, not only a, a Christ follower, been following Jesus for a long time, but he's also a great businessman, and, uh, and he's part of an organization and a ministry called Gideon's. And uh, if you've ever traveled at all, in fact, I used to travel a little bit early on in my career when I was in, in music. We'd be in city after city, and we'd hit the hotel room, and it was always a comfort for me to open up, you know, the little drawer there beside the bed and see a copy of the scriptures right there. That's what that ministry really has been doing all over the world for a long time. So I want to introduce Ray. Ray, come on up here. He's going to tell us a little bit about uh, the Gideon's organization, which he's part of. And uh, so let's, uh, let's welcome him with a little bit, bit of a handshake here. <laughs> Good morning. Well, I've been a Gideon about 15 years now. Wonderful organization. <clears throat> I was about 50, I guess, at the time, and there were a lot of people in there that were in their 70s and 80s and even 90s. And when you go around older people, you can learn from them because from them, they've been down the yard and they know where the holes are. I tell you, as an example, as an example, I went to, uh, uh, in California, the Pear Festival. And we would hand out four or 500 Bibles at the Pear Festival, and we had a booth there, like we would here. And uh, some big guys came through there with colors on, and you know, they were just scary to even look at. Got their motorcycles out there, and, and so I'm just talking to myself, and I'm talking to an 86-year-old Gideon that's helping us hand out Bibles. And I said, you know, I hope they don't come over here i just tired of being ridiculed of my faith. He said, no, Ray, no. So what are you talking about, no? He said, let's pray them in. <laughs> you know, we prayed them in, and I'm not kidding you. They turned around, or far they were, and they come straight to us. It was amazing. We offered them Bibles, and they took them. Afterward, he said, Ray, you got to learn. There are a lot of people out there need to need the Lord, and they're big people and small people and tall people and short people, and it doesn't matter. So we prayed them in, and they took Bibles. It was wonderful. The Gideons is an organization of about 300,000 men. We're all volunteers worldwide. 150,000 of our wives are also part of the Gideon family. And our job is to partner with the local Christian church. So we like to go into a Christian church once a year, tell the Gideon story, and see if we can't get others to help us buy Bibles. We, we take these little testaments and we hand them out all over the world. We hand them out to the military. We hand them out larger ones in the police departments, you know, people in prison, schools. We handed out uh, 450, I think, at Monmouth Tuesday last week um, for the college kids. We'll be at the fair and we'll probably do 850 at the fair this year. So we're always looking for good Gideons. So if you want to become a Gideon and hand out Bibles, great. We do them all over the world. <clears throat> so when we partner with you, well, over the last hundred years, we've been able to place two billion Bibles. Now, for a world that has seven billion people in it, to place seven billion Bibles is quite an accomplishment. It started with a couple of salespeople hundred years ago that when they would sit and there, well, I guess there wasn't any television, um, they would go into the, to the hotel and they would see somebody sitting over there reading their Bible. 
and a couple of guys that read their Bible regularly realized they were studying, and so they formed a little study group. And that study group grew, and, you know, there were other men, but they didn't have a Bible. So they got together with the local church, and they said, can we, can we work with your congregation to make some more Bibles available? And so the study group got bigger, and it went from hotel to hotel. And pretty soon they decided, okay, this is, this is working. So they've grown it to now it's that two billion Bibles. And we have camps, like we have a Polk County camp. We should have 24, 25 men in it. We have about four. So we're, we really need people. And just like there's so many chairs that are empty in here, young people aren't coming in. They're not standing up. And people aren't coming into the Gideons either because, you know, we're just losing them. <clears throat> it's the world we live in. Unfortunately, but it's wonderful. We, we do them in a, over a hundred different countries and over a hundred different languages and dialects. So we have camps, um, let's say in China, in Russia, in, in the Muslim countries, Saudi Arabia. And you, got, you can't go to Saudi Arabia as an example and hand out Bibles free like I am, get your head blocked off. I mean, right now, get your head taken off. So there are people out there that are distributing these Bibles on the QT, risking their life to get it in the hands of people who, who want it. So that's, that's what we do. Um, God does the rest. God touches the hearts of people. And, uh, you know, there was a story about a guy. He was... Um, well, it was this whole group, and it was in Brazil, and they were doing what's called a Bible fest, where you go in to a big city, and maybe you'll hand out 10,000 Bibles in that weekend. And they were standing there, and there's a putrid smell. Anyway, the smell went away, and some guys came up, and they were handing them Bibles, and one guy said, this is all crap. I don't want anything to do with this. They all need to all be thrown away, and he threw his just as far as he could get it to go. Well, that's too bad, you know, because it costs somebody a dollar twenty-five. That's what they cost us when you do two billion of them. They're down to a dollar twenty-five a piece. So later, that smell came back, and there was a guy <clears throat> had tar all over him. He said, "You know, my life is my life is a big mess. It's been a big mess, and I'm up on a roof and I'm repairing the roof, and I'm talking." And I'm thinking, if there's a God, I want him to come to me. I want him to show me a sign. And he hit me in the head with a Bible. <laughs> he said, I opened it, and it says I can have eternal life. And he says, I read some of it, and I want to know more. Well, they spent a half an hour with him, and they stayed in contact with him. This is a guy who gave his heart to Christ. But he was in such a mess, he was contemplating taking his own life. He had no kind of life. That's the amazing kind of thing that the Word does. Really amazing. And then, you know, we put them in all of the hotels and in all the, well, anywhere we can get. Our wives hand them out into the dentist's office and the doctor's office, and they go into all the jails. Most of the time, people go in there and they'll take these pages out they're really good for rolling cigarettes or marijuana 
And you know, they have a hard time getting that kind of stuff in the jail, uh, in the prisons. So hand them out in there and you'd be surprised. People will smoke half of it and read the rest and it'll change their life. <laughs> really. I mean, if this is your thing to roll your stuff, anyway. We also have cards in the back. If anybody wants to, you know, instead of buying Grandpa a tie, green tie for his birthday, well, these characters are free. This one says, like, thinking of you. You can get one for your wife if you want, your husband. Um, and instead of getting them a present like that, buy five Bibles in their name. Anyway, we appreciate coming here. Um, we hope that we'll be standing in the back with a basket. Anybody who wants to help buy some Bibles that we can distribute all over the world, and, of course, in our own community, please stop by. And we're always looking for Gideon, so we have some applications with us as well for those that want to get an application and see, check in more about becoming a Gideon. That's awesome. Thank Pastors you, can't be Gideons. Oh, really? Okay, no, good. you're in a higher You don't want that kind of... <laughs> That's right. <laughs> hey, let's pray. Let's, let's pray over this. All right. Thank you so much for Ray and, and uh, for Cindy and all the work they do with Gideon and in our community. And Lord, we uh, pray that you would advance the gospel through this vehicle of just handing out Bibles to folks uh, and Lord, filling that need. So Lord, we pray that your word would go out and it would come back with so much fruit as it always does. So we pray you in advance for what you're going to do through uh, in this year for the Gideons. And Lord, may may lots of, uh, of Bibles get put in the hands of people that are really desperate for hope. And Lord, help us to be part of that. And uh, we thank you again for Ray and for his heart uh, for reaching people. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Thank you, Ray. Thank you. Thank you again for having us. Thank you. Yeah, so they'll be in the back afterward. So thank you, thank you, thank you so much. So I could tell my dad was getting a little frustrated with me. We were about uh, two hours into this process, and I was maybe 10 or 11 years old, and uh, he had bought me for my birthday a bike kind of like this. It's actually pretty close to this. Mine was red. And uh, it's actually kind of a street bike. And I was 10 or 11 years old. I don't think my mom was ever happy about this gift. But anyway, to, to really experience the gift, I had to learn to do something, which I found really hard to do, which was operate a clutch. And, uh, you know, it, it seemed easy. You know, my dad explained it. You know, you got you to gotta give it some gas and then let the clutch out just right. And I'm telling you, for two hours straight, I just could not get it. My dad was getting more and more frustrated with me. And, um, you know, about the third hour, my older brother came out, and he's laughing at us, and that didn't help, And uh, as older brothers tend to do. But I just couldn't, I couldn't quite do it. It took, it took about half a day, and listening to more curse words strung together than I've ever heard in my entire life from my dad. Uh, I think it's that forever sort of marked our relationship. You know, he still talks about that. But uh, finally, yeah, I, I finally learned how, how to deal with the, the clutch. How many people have a similar story where you try to learn the clutch, some of you? Maybe your dad was nicer or whatever. Um, yeah, those skills become necessary. I mean, when you start kind of growing up in life, you get to maybe 12, 13, you realize there's a lot of skills that you need to navigate life, and you need some help to learn those skills. I'm very thankful, you know, for people in my life that kind of helped me, 
you know, learn basic skills like, uh, you know, how to, how to balance a checkbook um, or how to handle credit. I remember the first time, you know, I, I, we started using credit. I was pretty young and didn't realize the whole thing of compound interest and, you know, no payments for two years, and then they roll all that toward those two years, and if you don't make, you know what I'm saying? Some of you had the same problems. So when you learn those skills, they're very helpful. You're very thankful for that. So I want you to do something real quick. Uh, there's some people around you. Uh, take one, one minute or two and, and tell them something that someone taught you. What's the best thing that someone taught you? Go ahead, quick. Best thing someone ever taught you. Quick. Best thing someone taught you. Might be a clutch. Might be learning how to draw. Knowing how to go to the bathroom. I don't know what it is. Somebody taught you something. Oh, that's good. I, I'm very thankful that I learned to use the clutch. How many people in here know how to use a clutch? Okay, good. Uh, but there's a lot of people that don't anymore, you know. It's interesting how even some of the younger generations, they're, they're kind of delaying even getting a, a license. I'm telling you, when I was like 14, I was chomping at the bit. I was driving everything we could on the farm because I couldn't wait, right? In fact, there were a few times, and you can ask Jackie about this, I may have visited her on my street bike before I had a license. May have, that, that could be just an urban legend there. But I'm thankful for those skills. But I got to tell you, probably the most important skill that you could learn in life is going to be the key to you growing in your spiritual life. It's going to be the key for you growing in your relationship with Jesus. It's going to be a key for you getting close to the Lord, and that's one thing, and that's prayer. Prayer is so key that we could talk almost about lots of other things, but this one thing in your life is probably the biggest key to spiritual growth. You see, the weird thing is when I was, when I was in high school, I decided to follow Jesus. And maybe you have a similar experience where when I decided to become a Christian, whatever I converted or whatever you want to call that, I decided to, to say I want to be part of the Jesus team, right? When I made that decision, there was part of me that felt like it was kind of a transaction where I don't know if maybe I got scared at some point that there was this thing called hell, which I still don't fully understand. But I remember as a kid, people talking about, you know, you don't want to go to hell or whatever, and so you want to go to heaven, and the, the key to do that is Jesus. And I remember early on, I felt like that was a bit of a transaction. I, you know, when I said yes to Jesus, it was like I was exchanging, I didn't want to go to hell, I want to go to heaven. I don't know, maybe you have similar experiences. Like maybe when you were young, you were trying to make this transaction. But then as I grew up, I realized that actually it's way more than a transaction. That actually Jesus comes to bring us new life and we get to actually now have a relationship with Jesus, a relationship with the Lord to navigate life and to be prepared for the now and the not yet. That it was actually a relationship that he was, he was inviting us into. And the key component of that relationship is a communication we call prayer. Where we, where we tell God things, where we talk about things, where we yell at God because things aren't right. And he's big enough and has a big enough heart to say, yep, it's not right. Let's talk about that. That's the relationship he's calling us into and prayer becomes the key to that. Let's, let's pause now and actually pray together.
Father, we come before you and we realize that you have invited us into a relationship, a powerful relationship where you walk through life with us, through the down times and for the good times and for the ho-hum times. And Father, right now, I pray for each heart in this room that we would really look at this, this beautiful opportunity every day that we can talk to you through prayer. Father, em- empower us to be even better prayers when we leave this room. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, you can't talk about prayer without talking about the one prayer that Jesus was asked about. And he said it in Matthew chapter 6, and he also said it in the, the, the Gospel of Luke. But I'll, I'll recite it, I'll recite it in how I learned it. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. You all remember that one? Some of you recited that. That's awesome. That's the, that's the version I learned, I learned it in. Now let me read it to you in uh, probably one of the most recent uh, scholarly works of, of, of translation we call the English Standard Version. Listen to the way the English Standard Version uh, puts this here. In, 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 it's Matthew chapter 6. If you have a Bible or a device, you can find that around verse 9. It says this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We'll talk about that ending in a little bit that most of us are very familiar with. We'll talk about that ending. It's a good ending. We'll talk about that. But let me, let me read this to you in, in a version that was, was, was written by a, a pastor who has recently passed away. And this pastor was teaching just some, some everyday average guys in his Sunday school. And, uh, and he was realizing that these guys were struggling with the, 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 the popular version of the time, which is the King James Version. And, and if you know that version, you know, sometimes it's a little bit harder to, to read. It's got its language that in, in ways that we don't speak maybe that English anymore. And this pastor thought, you know, I've got I've to do something to help my, my students in my class really understand the Bible better. And so Eugene Peterson put together what we call the message. And listen to what, how he translates this. And I think you're going to love this. With a God like this loving you, you can pray very simply like this. Our Father in heaven, reveal who you are. Set the world right. D- do what's best. As above, so below. Keep us alive with three square meals. Keep us forgiven with you and forgiving others. Keep us safe from ourselves and the devil. You're in charge. You can do anything you want. You're a blaze in beauty. Yes, yes, yes. Isn't that great? I love that version. Isn't that great? Just, wow, a blaze, a blaze in beauty. Now, this, this particular prayer, we call the, you know, the Lord's Prayer. Really, it's probably a prayer Jesus didn't really pray, but it was a prayer that, a kind of a model that he gave to his disciples when they were wanting to know, how do we do this prayer? How do we do this communication with God? Basically, they were asking, how can we foster this relationship between the Father and us like you do, Jesus? In fact, this prayer shows up in the book of Luke, like I mentioned earlier, and it shows up right after Jesus finishes praying. 
So it's kind of interesting. In one sense, it comes in in the middle of a sermon we call the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6. And in, in the other version, in, in Luke, it actually shows up, I think in Luke 11, and it's, it's right after Jesus prays. And so you get this sense of, I don't even know how this worked, but was his disciples all around him, you know, just kind of watching him? And he finishes praying, and then Jesus kind of opens his eyes and looks around, and they're all staring at him. And they're like, Jesus, can you teach us how to do that thing you just did? I'm not sure how that all played out. But two different contexts with where this prayer shows up. Now, remember, in Matthew chapter 6, we, we call this the Sermon on the Mount. And this is a pretty amazing sermon, probably one of the most famous that Jesus ever gave. And in that, in that prayer... You know, Jesus is talking, you know, there on the mountain, he's talking to the folks there, and, um, and he begins speaking to them, uh, and he says, hey, uh, when you pray, and this is right before he gives the prayer, right? He said, hey, when you pray, don't be like people that are just looking for, uh, you know, a, a pat on the back. And when they're praying, don't, don't use words that are just kind of empty. Don't, don't just kind of, you know, use words that you don't even care about. So he kind of sets the stage for real praying with God. And that you don't want to grandstand with God or tell these lofty things so that people think, wow, that's a religious person. So that's, the, that's the wrong way to go about praying. So use your words. Be, beware of, of practicing you know, these sorts of righteous things so that people will pat you on the back, basically. And so don't, don't fall into that trap and use these empty words. When you pray, use your words. Do it privately. These words have meaning. Don't do some, do some kind of polished thing that you're not even thinking about that never hits your heart. And so he basically says, look, don't be wordy, don't be showy, if you were just to sum it up. And then he gives them this prayer. And, and it's very interesting, too, that right after the prayer, he begins speaking of the context of forgiving like the Father forgave. Now, it's in the prayer, but then he continues in the Sermon on the Mount saying, hey, you need to be forgiving people. You need to be folks that, that are, 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 are forgiving because your Father has forgiven you. Now, when we look at the, the prayer in Luke, it's very interesting. So Jesus prays, and then his disciples ask him how to pray, and he gives a shortened version of this. Kind of gives a little shorter version. And then right after that, he talks about the importance of being persistent and regular with talking to God. Now, he uses a couple stories, truth be told, that I've always wondered about. I mean, the first one, if you're familiar with that passage, the first one he uses is about like a judge and he's got this petitioner, this person's trying to get the judge to do something. And so this petitioner keeps, keeps at it and keeps at it. And the judge is like, oh, I better take care of this because if I don't, she's going to keep asking me. You know, so now I don't think that means that God is up there Right? I think we could take it too far. We could take the met metaphor too far. I don't think God is up there going, oh, man, he, Ben's asking again. I just got to do this. He's asking for a, you know, whatever it is. And I, I just got to let it do this or else he's going to keep bugging me every day. I don't think God is like that. But I do think there's a sense of uh, he wants this just constant communication. He wants us to be talking to him. And I think here's why. I think why the persistence is important because God can actually start changing our heart. You know, we're, we think we got God figured out. We like, well, I know what I need, so I'm going to give you this list here, bam. I think actually people sometimes pray this prayer backwards. A writer N.T. Wright said, you know, we pray this prayer backwards because what often happens is we're saying, okay, uh, God, do this for me. Would you please protect me from here? Would you deal with the debts here? Would you give me my daily bread? And then we say, oh, God, you're pretty good. 
we actually pray that backwards. We start giving God our to-do list without spending time saying, God, you're pretty awesome. You're our Father, you're in heaven, you're a blazing glory, and man, I can't wait to see you face to face. We should start with, God, you're pretty awesome. And then if we get to it, maybe we get to our to-do list, right? But sometimes I think here's why the consistency is important. Jesus will say, you know, after that prayer, uh, shortened prayer that he gives his disciples, right? He prays, his disciples ask, how do we do this? He gives them a shortened version of this. Then he says, hey, what? You need to to be persistent in prayer. In fact, he gives another example of how there's this, you know, family and this this dad and uh, it's it's late at night and the family's all in the house. The doors are locked. You know, it's, it's good night, everybody. And they've already read Goodnight Moon. And so they're already, for some of you young people, okay, as they've already read the Bible stories. And they're in, they're in their, their house. And everybody's locked up. And then the neighbor comes knocking on the door, right? And says, hey, hey, are you guys still up? And they're like, no, we're not. And he's like, you just answered. So I think you're up. And, uh, and then you get the sense of this guy being sort of annoyed by his neighbor. And his neighbor saying, hey, I, I, someone came into town. I need some, I need some flour. Can you give me a couple eggs? I need to cook something for him. And finally, after persistence, finally the the neighbor gets up that was all in bed, and he said, okay, well, then let me get you taken care of. And again, that story, again, if you press it too far, might make you think that God's up there just like, oh, i got to answer this prayer. If I don't, they're going to keep asking for milk or whatever. But I think the point of all that is... Jesus is trying to say we need to have consistency. It's when we're, we're having this relationship, and what will often happen is sometimes we keep repeating the same prayers to God, and he's like, eventually he begins to change your heart. What you thought you needed, he tends to start changing. And this happened to me because I remember when I was in Nashville, I was really trying hard to get a record deal and be famous. And I thought anybody that worked in church, they were like second rate. I thought if you were a musician in church, you just couldn't cut it in real music. I had a real chip on my shoulder. And I've been, I would pray, God, I want a, I want a platform. I, you know, you think that sounds vain. That's what I, I was kind of uh, that way. God, I want a big platform. I want to make a living at this. I want to have a record deal. I want to have all that going on. And over eight years, God would listen to me pray that prayer. I was consistent, but eventually... I started realizing maybe that's not what I want. See, that, that persistence in relationship with what God's looking for, and so we keep talking to him daily. In fact, daily is even part of the prayer. Did you catch that? Like there's a word daily. It's like give us this day our yearly bread, and so I don't have to pray for it anymore. So give us this day our daily bread. There's a sense of, of relationship, and every day we're getting on our knees before him. And so I think the point of all this is when you're praying this prayer, you need to be a forgiving person. You want to do it personally, not trying to get people to pat you on the back. It's between you and the Lord to build a relationship and you need to have some consistency. So be persistent with that. Be, be, be daily prayers. I think, I think that's the heart of the context of this prayer. I mean, if you break it down, I really do think it's kind of like the top part is, God, you're awesome. And you're in charge, large and in charge, and we're not. And then the, you know, when we get to the give us part, that's kind of like the, the daily needs sort of thing. But it starts with, God, you're awesome. And I think we've got to be careful not to get that turned upside down, not to go backwards on that prayer. We start with, God, you're pretty amazing. You're awesome. That's our, our, our foundation point. And then we start talking to God about the things in our life. We pray for other people. And again, don't be surprised as you start praying. God can actually change your heart. 
on what you thought you wanted so much, right? He did it for me. I think he can do it for you. So we're building this relationship. God is our father. I think that's interesting too. It says our father. That seems pretty intimate, like my dad or my father, right? Even Jesus would even say, Abba, Father. We cry out to Abba, Father. That's a very, very intimate term. But then there's this word our in front of it. What are we to draw from that? Well, maybe part of that is our father means that we're never lone rangers in this following Jesus thing. Our father is corporate and it's intimate. So we all cry out to our father. You see that sense of community, but also intimacy with the father. It's like when we're praying, we can say like Buddy the Elf in the movie Elf. Remember when he says, Santa, I know him. With God, we can say, it's our father. We know him. We know him. And then we pray, may your kingdom come. In in other words, God, bring your kingdom ways to the planet. Bring your kingdom ways of generosity, love, peace, forgiveness, kindness. Bring those things in as much as possible. God, we're praying for your heavenly ways to be enacted in our world. Until that one day, we got new heavens and new earth. I don't even know what that is. But he's saying even the right now, we're praying that God's kingdom ways start coming to here and now. That means Monday morning, Tuesday morning, Friday night, the kingdom ways start to come here now. Not just the not yet. We pray for his kingdom to come. And then we pray for daily bread. Let's just pause for a second. How many of us have actually prayed this prayer in earnest? That one phrase, give us our daily bread. I look around this room and I think we have a lot of blessed people here. You know, for a while there, we talked about the one percenters or whatever. Remember that when that whole phrase is going on, all the one percenters. Literally, if you're born in America, for the most part, you are the one percenters of the world. And I think for us, a phrase like this is hard for us to get truly right. When was the last time you woke up and you had to literally pray something like, I hope I get lunch today? I just got really quiet. (laughs) Sorry. That's pretty heavy, isn't it? Like, many of us are very blessed. And it's not like we should be ashamed that we're blessed. We should thank God. We should praise him for that. But for many of us, this is a hard thing for us to get our minds around. But there are people on the planet every day that this means a whole lot different on screen, right, than it does for us sometimes. And so maybe for us, maybe for us, the way God wants to answer the prayer here is that we can be a blessing to those who need it, right? I mean, sometimes I think we got to be careful not to downplay how much God's blessed us. He's blessed us to be a blessing. That's biblical. He's blessed us to be a blessing. So maybe there are literally people right now that are praying this prayer today in our city. What, what if you and I were the answer to that prayer? We're blessed to be a blessing, right? So I hope that phrase begins to jump up off the page a little bit more now. Lord, give us this day our daily bread. It's almost like we need to be reminded we have to depend on him. And in life, there are going to be moments where you're going to really, really literally be saying, God, if you don't show up right now, I'm sunk. 
And if you haven't been through a moment like that, I pray that you will sometime in a good way because it, it's dependence on him. It's surrender to him. It's a beautiful thing. And sometimes we're so stubborn, we won't do it until it's absolutely required. Like, oh, yeah, I surrender all. We'll sing songs like that. But when it actually comes down to it, we'd rather kind of take control. When those moments, and we need his daily bread, when if God doesn't show up, we're sunk. Those moments really show us how much we can rely on him. In fact, Acts 17 says, in him we live and move and have our being. There's a dependency on God here. Now the phrase, oh, as we also have forgiven. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. This right there, I think we need to be careful to pray. Think about that for a minute. How forgiving are you? Someone wrongs you, even someone, a friend wrongs you. How willing are we to forgive? This is a big one. In fact, Francis Chan, one of my favorite preachers, he said this. He said, be careful. Don't pray this prayer unless you mean it with all your heart. Because that means we need to be the same sort of forgiving people that we want God to be for us. Think about that. I mean, there are people right now in your life you don't want to forgive. Could have been something done to you in the past, something that someone's currently doing. You don't want to be that forgiving person, but this should be a challenge to each of us. It should make us feel a little bit uncomfortable. Let's be the kind of forgiving people like we expect God to forgive us. And then we pray that God would deliver us. Deliver us from, from, from trials too big for us and help us steer clear of the evil one because we tend to steer closer to him on days of the week. And, and we're praying God steer us away from the evil one that might, that might take us way off track. We pray for that. And we pray, help us with temptation, deliver us. But this prayer should always bring us back to the foot of the cross. And how amazing it is that he took all of our sin and nailed it to the cross. Now this last phrase, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever, amen, right? That's a phrase that many of us learned. Well, it's not in the oldest manuscript, so what do we do with that? Does that you're like, well, should that be, is that not in the Bible? Should that be part of it? I learned that when I was a kid. Here's the deal. That phrase was probably added from the early church times. And it was probably a phrase that they said over and over, and they begin to, to associate that with the end of the prayer. So it's absolutely great. It's a wonderful ending. In fact, that phrase is probably a paraphrase of a passage that many in the first church, early church would have known. And it's from, it's in your Bible, 1 Chronicles 29.11. See how close that phrase is to this. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord. You are exalted as head above all. This is probably the early church. They would say this at the end of that prayer they learned. So they added it to that original prayer that Jesus gave, but it's a beautiful ending to that. And so continue to use that is my point. It's a good thing. So what's the, what's the key here today? It's only one thing. Prayer is our absolute lifeline. It's the key to growing spiritually. Why? Because this is not a transaction. This is a relationship. A relationship between you and the Father. And he wants to get to know you. 
He wants to hear the hurts. He wants to hear the anger. He wants to hear the laughter. He wants to see the tears. He wants to hold you in his arms and say, yeah, this is not good right now. I'm just going to hold you for a while. Our Father wants that relationship with us. God the Father is saying, come to me, all you who are weary. I'll give you rest. He wants the relationship. Let's stop looking at it as some kind of transaction or marking it off on some kind of to-do list. It's actually a relationship. That's what he's building with us. And it's a beautiful thing. Some of you might, you might be thinking, well, yeah, but in prayer, I mean, I'm a sinful person. I've struggled with these things. Yeah, he still wants you to come to him. Come to him. And he's not going to be surprised. You say, God, I screwed up again. Would you please bring me into your arms? And he's going to say, yes. Thank you for coming to me. And he's going to give you a big hug. You can confess everything to him. He's not going to be surprised. And he's going to be thankful because you're coming to him. And that's the point. Relationship is what he's building, not some transaction. Confess your sin to him every day. That's, that's really our life anyway. We're confessors, we're confessors and we're forgivers. That's how it works because that's what we have from the Father. And he's building that relationship with us. And here's the deal. If you've got something with somebody, work it out. Figure it out. We are forgiving people. It's not like you, have to dis- you don't have to dismiss sin. You don't have to dismiss consequences. But you say, you know what? This is, this is hurting my spirit. I want to get this resolved so I can go and spend some time with the Lord. And this is something that's kind of... So don't, don't mock God in that way by refusing to forgive somebody. He forgave you, bonehead. You forgive. You take the first step. That's not in Scripture, but you see what I mean. If God gives you another day, make time to pray. That's the only point today. If God gives you another day, you're not guaranteed Monday. You're not guaranteed tomorrow. You made plans tomorrow. You're not guaranteed it. If God gives you another day, if you wake up another day, make time to pray. That's a simple thing. You can do that. Write that down in your notes. If, you, if God gives you another day, make time to pray. And look, I love what John Piper says about prayer. He says, you know what? Don't, don't overcomplicate it. Maybe choose a time and a place, you know, that might be kind of quiet. Do that. Uh, and then maybe you should try this. And this is, I love John Piper's way. He, ha, he, he, does, he just cuts right through it. He says, how about you listen before you speak? I love that. Shh, quiet. Listen before you speak. Spend some time working, working through how great God is. Praising him. And then speak. Listen before you speak. Pick a time and place. Here's some other things. I love this. There's four things here if you're taking notes. Number one is use your words sincerely. And if you're struggling with words, you can use the Lord's Prayer. That's a great one to memorize and start using. But use your words as best as you can. And even Psalms. Spend some time in the Psalms. In fact, that was the prayer book of the New Testament or the the early Christians was the Psalms. They would just learn these phrases, and sometimes the psalms are happy, sometimes they're sad, sometimes there's a lament. It gave voice, gave them words to say. So if you're struggling with words, I mean, use your words. You could use the psalms. You can use, you can use so many different things there to, to spur on your, your perf- personal communication with God. And here's the, the second thing is this, be personal and private. There's no grandstanding here. You and the Lord, you've got an audience of one. Spend time just with the Father. Number three is this, be forgiving. Be a, a forgiving person. Humbly and seeking forgiveness from God daily. We are forgiven people, so we are a forgiving people. I love, I love uh, this last one too. Pray every day and often. Doesn't mean you need to spend eight hours in prayer, but work up to it. You know, get that five minutes, get that 10 minutes, that drive time. Maybe you shut off the noise and you and the Lord, you just listen to the Psalms and you just start repeating them. 
Use those phrases to help you. And, and I love that. I love what Greg Laurie said. He said this in a sermon. I heard this. He said, if you are swept off your feet, it's time to get on your knees. Do you catch that? If you're swept off your feet, life has kicked you sideways. You're swept off your feet. That's the time to get on your knees. And I love, he ends it with this. God provides for your needs, not for your greeds. Needs, not your greeds. It's probably not grammatically correct, but you see what he's saying. Needs, not your greeds. Imagine if we could be a church family devoted to prayer like the earlier church was. Devoted to speaking with the Lord. I love what N.T. Wright says. He says this in closing. We pray this prayer as a whole life activity so that as we pray, our lives become hallowing lives, kingdom lives, giving people bread lives, deliverance from evil lives. Let us become a, a people and a church of kingdom prayers. Let's pray. Father, we come before you. We thank you so much for your love and faithfulness and your mercies that are new every morning. Lord, help us to be praying people, to speak to you, to build that relationship. It's not a transaction, it's a relationship. So Father, I pray for every person in this room that this week could be a turning point in their prayer life and it would be a real key for them to grow and to know you more as as you have helped me do that same thing, Father. So we pray that you'd empower us to be a praying people. In Jesus' name, we, we do pray together, amen.